So I had prepared a class, but this morning we started having a conversation in our class here, and I thought that it was a little more interesting. So I'm going to go to what we started to talk about this morning. So we're going to talk about something called Ibur Neshama. Ibur Neshama is a pregnant, the translation is a pregnant soul. What does it mean? So the example that we have of Ibur Neshama, generally, and some people don't agree, generally we have it from the, in, in more current times, so to say, is from the Ben Ishchai. The Ben Ishchai was a rabbi from Baghdad. He was the chief rabbi of Baghdad. His name was Rabbi Yosef Chaim. He went on a pilgrimage from Baghdad to Israel. And when he went to Israel, he went to Sifat. And he went to the tomb of a man named Benayahu. His name was Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. Benayahu Ben Yehoyada was an advisor to King David. He was a general to King Solomon. He was the head of the Sanhedrin in the time of King Solomon. And the Zohar talks extensively about him. Now, his tomb is in Sifat? So his tomb is in Sifat. How, they, how, how, that we, how we discover his tomb is this. The, so it's very interesting how they discover his tomb. The rabbi, uh, Rabbi Chaim Vital, is the one who's, Rabbi Chaim Vital is the one who's writing the works of the Arizal, the student of the Arizal. He was basically with the Ari for about two years in Sfat. He comes back one day to the Ari, and the Arizal stands up, stands up for him. So he asks him, why, why are you standing up for me? And he says, I'm not standing up for you. I'm standing up for the soul of Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. His soul has joined your soul. And he could see that. And he could see that Benayahu Ben Yehoyada was in the room. He has an Ibur Neshama from Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. Okay, we have the, so the Rav Chaim Vital continues to write. He goes, and one day we were walking, or later that day, we were walking at the outskirts of Sfat, and he told me that this is where Benayahu is buried. And I told him that when I was here earlier, I saw bricks askew, and I started putting all the bricks together for some reason. He said, because you were putting the bricks together that were by the grave of Benayahu, you were able to get his soul to join you. So since the time of the Arizal, they have this grave of Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. Today it's a regular site and many people come. So, I mean, Sfat has been an important place for learning, going all the way back to Shlomo. So it seems he was the general of Shlomo Hamel and he was buried in Sfat. Wow. Is he one of the ones that are like high, up high, and there's like a kind of a... If, if you Google it, his name, Benayahu Ben Yehoyada, and you get the the uh, right. the Wikipedia page. It shows you the tomb and everything. It shows you all the pictures of it. The truth, I don't remember if I was ever there. I I, I have to ask my wife to tell me if I was there or not. Um, if we were there, I don't know. Well, we wouldn't have known. I so but he so so the, if you read about him in the in the Zohar, the Zohar has all of these things about him. He was the one who caught the demon who worked for Shlomo Hamela. He was the. To, to get the worm that was going to cut the bricks, 
There's all these stories about this person, Ben Ayahu Ben Yoyada, and how great a soul he had. So the Ben Ishchai basically writes that he went to his grave and he sat there for three days. And when he left, he felt that he had a connection to the soul of Ben Ayahu Ben Yehoyada. All of his books, from that point forward, all the Ben Ishchai's books, including Ben Ishchai, because Ben Yehoyada, he's called Ben Ishchayil. So the Ben Ishchai has a book, Rav Yosef Chaim has a book called, we call Rav Yosef Chaim the Ben Ishchai because his most famous book is the Ben Ishchai. But that's not his name. That's the name of Ben Ayahu Ben Yehoyada. He is called Ben Ishchayil, Ben Ishchai. All of these accolades are written about him. And the Ben Ishchai writes all of his books with names of, so he has Sefer Ben Ayahu, Sefer Ben Yehoyada, Sefer Ben Ishchai, Sefer Ben Ishchai. All of these related to this person, Ben Yehoyada, who he feels is in Ibur Neshama of his Neshama. The Arizal writes many times, or, or the Rav Chaim Vital writes many times. Another time, one of his students came in. And he asked his student, he got up for the student, and they all wondered, why is the rabbi getting up for the student? And he said he has an ibur neshama of someone from the time of the Gemara. And he asked the student, what did he do? He said he was coming, and there was this woman, and she had nothing, and he literally took the clothes off of his back to help her and her children, and he went to get them food, and he said, because you did that kindness, this Tana from the time of the, of the Mishnah, became an Ibor on you and you should take advantage of this now because when you have this Ibor you're capable of much more than you were capable it's basically the easiest way to explain it's a supercharging of the soul so when we begin this parasha we should remember that Moshe Rabbeinu is looking at the Miraglim so the interesting thing about the word Miraglim is it doesn't mean spies it means tourists in reality but we have Yosef HaSadiq Joseph, when his brothers come to Egypt, he accuses them of being Meraglim. He says, Meraglim Atem. You are spies. Because he says that they were checking out all of the places. Maybe you could call them tourists. They were checking out all of the places. They were checking out the seedy parts of town. Why were they doing that at the time? Because they hoped to find Joseph who was sold to Egypt, and maybe bring him home, being that they were in Egypt. So Joseph accuses his brothers of being Meraglim, but the reality is he's not accusing them of being Meraglim then. He's telling them in the future, you will be the Meraglim. You will be. So what happens? We see Moshe Rabbeinu, and now this is interesting because about four years ago we had Rabbi Amar, who was at the time the chief rabbi of, uh, of Israel. He was here. And he was explaining this. So we were discussing it this morning because a question came up. He says it's very interesting because it says, when we're naming the spies, it says, it says for each of the spies, these are all of their names. So we have all of these spies, and then at the end we're going to go through their names, and then we come to Yoshua Binun, and, and Moses, it says here, these are, the, these are the names of These are the names of the men which Moses sent to tour the land. And Moses called to Hoshea Binun, to his assistant Hoshea. He changed his name from Hoshea to Yehoshua. Everyone asks the question, why does he change his name and no one else's name? 
What is he doing to him that he's giving him something extra? And the rabbis explain that what is he doing? He's, he's doing here, he's giving him a blessing and he's telling him, it says, Moses added the letter Yud to Hoshea's name so that his name would begin with the letters Yud and He. The Hebrew name Yehoshua means God save or God will save, which signifies that Moses prayed, may Hashem save you, Yehoshua, from the conspiracy of the spies. This, this means that even before the mission, Moses was worried that everything's going to go downhill. So the question everybody asks is why does he give Joshua a blessing and no one else? What did he do for everyone else? So the Arizal says, no, he did for everyone else. What did he do for everyone else? It says, so we start, it says, Lemater Reuven. For the tribe of Reuven, Shamua ben Zakur. He says, he brought to, to Shamua ben Zakur, this man from the tribe of Reuben, the soul of Reuben, to help him, to supercharge his own soul and help to protect him. Lemateh Shimon, to the tribe of Shimon. He, so, so he says, each of the tribes, he gave the soul of one of the original Shevatim, the sons of Jacob. We come to Lemateh Ephraim. It doesn't say Lemateh. When it comes to Menashe, it says Lemateh Yosef, Lemateh Menashe. But when it comes to Lemateh Ephraim, it only says Hoshea bin Nun. So the only one of these 12 guys that were going into the land that didn't get an extra soul because there's two tribes that came from Joseph. So you can't split Joseph up. Mm-hmm. Joseph was only going to go into one of them. So Hoshea, Yeshua, didn't get any extra soul. So because he didn't get in any extra soul, Moses had to compensate for him not getting an extra soul. And to do that, what did he do? He added the Yud to his name. When you try to understand where the Yud is to change his name. But, but he was from, from the tribe of Yehuda. No? no. Kalev is from Yehuda. Ah. And, 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 uh, and Yehoshua is from Ephraim. From Joseph. So, later on, when, when Hashem says he's going to kill all of, the, all of the spies, he says, with the exception of... He says, with the exception of, he's right here, for, except for Kalev ben Yefuneh, he says, he says, except for him, and he specifically says about Kalev, that Kalev had an extra ruach. What do you mean he had an extra ruach? So we know that when it comes to souls, we have three levels of souls, nefesh, ruach, neshama. So he's saying that Kalev, not Yehoshua, Kalev had an extra soul, and the opinion of, the, of Rabbi Amar was this extra soul was the soul of Yehuda. Now, I heard another opinion. And the other opinion really has to do with this. When it comes to, when it comes to, uh, to uh, uh, Yehoshua, the Targum, Yonatan ben Uziel, which was written probably in the year 200 of the Common Era, the Targum Yonatan ben Uziel says that he gave him this name because he was humble. So the question is, what, what's the problem with Yehoshua being humble? So he says that we should understand that there's a problem if someone is too humble. So imagine you have 10 rabbis 
And they all agree. They all agree on one thing. They agree the land is terrible. Or they agree on anything. You have a, a court of 12 people. And 10 people say, we all agree that this is our opinion. What say you? If the guy's humble, what's he going to do? I'm not going to fight with these guys. I'm going to let it be. Let me just say, okay, let it be. So he says, I'm going to let it be. So the fear was that Yehoshua and then Kalev also, both of them being humble, what would they do? They would let it be. So, so the, the difficulty is if someone's truly humble but he also knows who he is, but generally if we're looking for someone who's Shafel Ruach, who who's, has this humility, he's generally going to not want to, you know, I don't know anything, I know nothing, everyone knows, I don't want to, maybe my opinion is not so good. You have to be very careful of humility in that level. Really, when we look at Moshe, even though Moshe is called the most humble of all, he still knew who he was. And he was willing to stand up. But the fear was that Yehoshua, who's the student of Moshe, who's the student of humility, is going to take humility and not stand up for what's right. So how do we get him to stand up for what's right? This is one of the opinions. I saw also from the Ari that my, that my rabbi brought, he says that we have to understand when it says about Kalev, it says Kalev has ruach acher, ruach acher. What's ruach? If we take the letters of Ruach and we reverse them, Ruach is Reish Vav Chet. If we reverse them, what are the letters? Chor. Who was his cousin? Chor. What did Chor do when they went to go with the Egel? Chor stood up to try to stop them, risking his life to the point that they killed him. So as a reward to Chor, he comes back into Kalev and he gives Kalev the strength to stand up to the other spies. What about Yehoshua? So the one opinion is, where did we get the Yud for Yehoshua? Sarah. So we know that Sarah's name, we have Abraham and Sarah. Originally, Abraham was Avram, and Sarah was Sarai. Hashem added a He to Avraham's name. He took the Yud from Sarah's name, and he replaced the Yud with a He. The Yud got upset and said, what are you going to do? What are you doing with me? He says, we're going to put your name in Yehoshua. We're going to put it at the beginning. It was at the end of Sarah, Sarai. We're going to put it at the beginning of Yehoshua. What does that have to do with being willing to stand up? So Sarah is married to Abraham. Abraham is the greatest of the great. But when, 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 Abraham, when, when Abraham did something that Sarah didn't agree with, when she wasn't happy keeping Yishmael in the house and keeping Hagar in the house, what did she do? She was willing to step up and open her mouth to Abraham. And what does Hashem tell, tell Abraham? Listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. All of us, listen to your wife. It's easier that way. I have a bracelet. It says, happy wife, happy life. That's all I have. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Which, which, which call your wife? Reminder, right? So, that, so what is the, the idea? By giving Yehoshua the Yud from Sarai, from Sarah, you're giving him the ability to stand up to the rest of the, to the, rest of the people. 
So he's saying, why did Moshe have to put into each of them this extra Ibur Neshama? He was worried what was going to happen once they got to the land. The question is, why was he worried? Also the Yud, Hashem also has Sam's name. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to explain how that works also. So he says, so he says that, 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 uh, that Moshe was worried that what happens, anytime you're trying to do something good, and in this case they're trying to go into the land, the negative forces, so to say, stand up against you to battle you. The greater the good, the greater the, the, uh, the, the opposition to the good. So Moshe was looking for anything possible to help them to stand up. And therefore he brought down, so to say in some way, these neshamot, these souls that joined all of the 11, the 11 uh, of the Meraglim, and then he did what he did for, for uh, Yehoshua separately. But to understand further, there's something else that we could look at. So we know that we have the, the, the name of Hashem, the Yud, the K, the Vav, the K. That name, Yud, K, Vav, K. That name stands for mercy. That's the name of Hashem through which all energy, so to say, flows. We compare the, the Yud, K, Vav, K to the Zeran Pin. We have the Yud and the, and the, and the He being, uh, being Chochmah and Binah. We have the Vav being Zeran Pin. And then we have the He as Malchut on the bottom. Everything that we do is really always associated with this Yud, the K, and the, the Yud, He, and the Vav, and the He. We have on Rosh Chodesh, specifically, we have, when we say the bracha in the Amidah, Musaf and Rosh Chodesh, we're supposed to think of Hashem's name in one of 12 permutations. So if I take the Yud, the K, the Vav, and the K, I can turn those into 12 different words, so to say, using those four letters, really three letters, because the He is repeated. So I have either the way it's written, I have the reverse, I have a Yud... Hey, hey, vav, yud, vav, hey, hey. Uh, all of these difference. And each of, the, each of the months of the year is governed by one of those names of Hashem. The way I understood it was this. When we come to Rosh Chodesh, we're sanctifying, we're, we're, we're celebrating Rosh Chodesh, we're sanctifying the month in Rosh Chodesh. And what's happening when we say Musaf and we're bringing... If we're praying Musaf instead of bringing the special sacrifice that was brought on Rosh Chodesh. The purpose of the sacrifice or the purpose of Musaf is to allow us to overcome the mazal, the luck, how do you say mazal? Fortune. The fortune of that month. Every month has a horoscope associated with it that has the ability to govern in some way. It says, En mazal Israel. There's no luck for Israel. What we have to do is we have to rise above the mazal. One of the rabbis is called the Bnei Yisachar. He says, in order to rise above the mazal for that month, you have to know the permutation of Hashem's name for that month. And you have to know the pasuk it's related to. And you have to know how to overcome it. So I printed... A sheet, basically, which has each of the, of the months of the year. It has the pasuk associated with it, and it's giving the source of where the pasuk is. Now, basically, what it does is it takes four, four words from a verse, 
And the four words either having the name of Hashem, the first letter of each word, or the last letter of each word. And that's the, the sentence and the way of the Pasuk is for that month. So for example, if you want, I can email it to you. Send me a thing, I'll email it to whoever. So, so for example, the strongest month of the year, the month of the year that we have Hashem's name as the Yud, the Hey, the Vav, and the Hey, the one month that we have it directly as it's written, is which month do you think is the most powerful month of the year? Could be. Nisan. So Nisan is the, is the beginning of the year. It's, it says that this is the first of the months for you. And this is the month that everything is straight, so to say. And we have the Pasuk related to Nisan. Yismechu hashamayim vatagel haaretz. We take Yismechu, the Yud, hashamayim the Hey, vatagel the Vav, haaretz the Hey. So it's in that order, that's the strongest. So if we say the chesed of Hashem, the flow of energy, the strongest flow of energy is when we have the yud the hay and the vav and the hay together. That's in Nisan. That's when we can get the most of any time of the year. That's why the rabbis say, in Nisan we were redeemed, and Nisan we will be redeemed, because Nisan has that extra special energy. The whole month of Nisan for us is basically a holiday. From the first day of Nisan to the last day of Nisan, it's all a holiday. The first fifteen, the first uh, twelve days is because of the, because of the uh, the originally when they dedicated the Mishkan, each of the first twelve days, the uh, the princes all brought a sacrifice. Then we go into the days right before Pesach. Well, then we have Pesach. And at the end, we have the end of the month. One reason is because you might as well continue the rest of the month. The other is no, because there's going to be a celebration when the Mashiach comes and it's going to be tacked on to the end of the month. And therefore, the whole month is a holiday. Which month of the year do you think is the worst month of the year where it's the reverse? So we would think of. Huh? Ah, so you so that we would think Av, but we have to recognize in Av that everything in Av changes on the 15th day of Av. On the 15th day of Av, when we celebrate Tu Be'av, the month changes from negative to positive. There was, so to say, a battle between Yaakov and Esav, and the battle, when he wrestled with him, he took back half of the month of Av, and the second half of the month of Av goes into Elul. So the, the worst month, the most negative month of the year for us is Tammuz. We declare on this Shabbat for Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, which is next week, I think Monday and Tuesday. So the most negative energy of the whole year... Tuesday, Wednesday, thank you. So the, the, see, it's good that you worked the schedule. So it says, so the most negative month of the whole year for us is Tammuz. Moshe Rabbeinu understood he's sending the Meraglim in on the 29th day of Sivan. That's the last day of this month. They return on the 8th day of Av. Remember, because then the 9th of Av, the people all cry. So which month did they spend the most time in the land? The month of Tammuz. So, so he, he saw it's a very dangerous month. Now we know that the, the verse for this month is what? It comes from Megillat Esther. And it comes from Haman. Now one of the things I heard Rabbi, Rabbi Eli Manso once was talking about it, we were talking about it. He says, interesting, the enemies of the Jewish people in those days, they knew how to use Kabbalah against us. 
He says that, he says, Haman sat there, and Haman says, really, in this month of, uh, the month of Tammuz, he says, when Haman is returning from the first party with Esther, so he's gonna, he goes home, and all of his friends and his wife and everyone's there, and they're talking about Haman. You're the wealthiest guy in the country. You have all of these children. They're all amazing children. You are the most powerful man in the whole country. You have a throne that's even higher than the king. The queen makes a party. She invites only two people, the king and you. Haman, what more could you want? You have the best life that anyone could imagine. You, you have everything that anyone could ever want. What does Haman answer? Hakol zeh enenu shaveh li. All of this is worthless to me. While Mordechai the Jew is sitting out by the, by the gate and he won't bow down to me. A person could have everything in the world. Money, children, wife, uh, position, health, everything he had. There was nothing. But he says, Hakol zeh enenu shaveh li. We take the words, we say zeh, the second, this, the last letter of zeh is hey. Eneno vav. Shaveh hey, li, yud. He takes the name of Hashem and he reverses it. He's going to use the negative energy of the reverse of Hashem's name in order to destroy the Jewish people. That's the negative energy that's associated with the month of Tammuz. We see what was the miracle of Purim, that Hashem, Hashem twisted everything, turned it around. So Haman's intent was to use the reverse of the Yudke Vavke, but when did all of the whole story of Purim really happen? When did it happen? When did he do the, the poor? And when was the party? And when did Haman get hung? All of it was in Nisan. And the month of Nisan is when Hashem's name is the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. So Haman hoped to take the reverse, the negative energy of the reverse of Hashem's name, and use that. So, 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 to, so now we have to think about, so each month has this, the name, and the most negative month is Tammuz. So the question that you have to ask, and you know, we have in, in the thing, you know, we have the, the three weeks, and bad luck, and don't go in the water, and all of these things, and growing up it was much, much worse, than it is today. Because growing up, it was always very superstitious. Don't go on a long ride. Don't do a business trip. Don't do a thing. A lot of things associated. But the source seems to be something. It seems to be something. So the, the question was, we have beginning of Av, for example. We're not supposed to go, go to court against someone. All of these things we have associated with this period of the year. This period of the year called judgment. And, and God, we shouldn't have, but you know, it seems every summer... We see some terrible thing, tragedy happens, and the rabbis always tell you, it's this time of year. So the question is, how does a person protect themselves during this time of the year? And what was Moshe doing in naming Yehoshua, Yehoshua, to help protect Yehoshua, to help protect him? So we say that, that the key that the, the Arizal brings is humility. A person who's humble is a person who's protected. Basically, he's saying, if you lay under the radar, if you go below the radar, then nothing's going to happen. The person who sticks his head up, who's in the public eye, who has ga'ava pride, 
that person is the person who stands in danger. He says that one of the reasons that the Maraglim, one of the reasons that the ten of them rejected the land was this. While they were in the desert, they were the leaders. They were in charge. But once they would get to the land, everything would change. In the desert, it's a very simple system. We're basically learning from morning to night with Moses. We want food, it falls every morning. We go out our door, we collect the man, we eat the man. We want water, there's a well running through the camp from Miriam, we drink the water. We want, we, we have everything, we're living in the cloud, there's air conditioning, there's a, the dry cleaners, everything is there for us in the desert. It's a, it's a life that's beyond reality. While they're living in this life beyond reality, they are the leaders. But what happens when you get into the land and everything changes? When you get into the land, you have to go to the farm and plant the, this and clean the rocks and make the bread and sew the clothing and find the real dry cleaners and dig a well and life becomes different. And what would happen is when, when they get to the land, everything's going to change. And the first thing that happens when you get into a new place and all the rules change is you find new leaders. So these 10 guys says, right now we're the leaders. If we go into the land, what's the first thing that's going to happen? We lose our job. I want to be the leader. It's good to be the king, right? So their, their reason for not going in, many suggest, is gava, pride. That's why specifically when it comes to Yehoshua, we mentioned that the, that the, uh, the, the translation says that Yehoshua was humble. And that's why he added his name. So we said the reason he added it was to give him strength to stand up. But let's see how the humility plays in. Rashi mentions that when Moshe turns to Yehoshua and he wants to change his name, Yehoshua's name is Hoshea. Hey, Vav, Shin, right? Hoshea. He's going to change it to Yehoshua and he specifically says the Yud, the Hey, Yah, the name of Hashem of the Yud and the Hey, will save you from the advice of, or the, the influence of the Miraglim. He uses, we have many names of Hashem. We have Shakai, we have all of these names. Why specifically does he use the name Yudhei, Ka? Yudhei. Why does he use this name? So one of the interesting things is that the word pride in Hebrew is Ga'ava. Ga'ava is pride. How are you going to destroy pride? With this name, Yud and Hey. Why? The gematria of pride, Ga'ava, is 15. Gimel, Aleph, Vav, Hey, is 15. 3, 1, 6, 5, 15. The gematria of Ka, of the Yud and Hey, 10 and 5, is 15. The way to destroy the pride of all of them, to protect you, is with this name of Hashem, the Yud and Hey. But to go further, to go further, Moshe is telling the, 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 other, the other spies, he's telling all of them. When you're going to go to the land, he tells them, he says, he says that you're going to go into the land, and he tells them specifically, Ma-hi. What is the land? What do you mean, Ma-hi? Ma-hi, what is the land? So the rabbis tell us that Ma is a code for humility. Because when Moshe is talking about himself, he says, Anachnu ma. We're nothing. We see also 
the whole idea of humility is there to protect a person. To protect a person. When Kalev and Yehoshua stand up to the other spies, they tell the other spies that the land is not only good, it's me'od me'od, very, very. What do you mean very, very? There's, there's only one other place in all of Jewish writing where we have the duplication of the word me'od, me'od. Anybody know? So we know it's the, the single when it talks about Moshe was very humble. So we could relate the humility to that. But the only place that we have it double is in Pirkei Avot. And it says in Pirkei Avot, a person should be me'od, me'od hedeh shafal ruach. A person should be very, very humble. So he says the me'od, me'od relates how did Kalev and Yoshua protect themselves? Through their level of humility. We go further and we see that Yehoshua's name was Hoshea, Hey Vav. Hey Vav is what? We have the Yud K Vav K. The reverse of Hashem's name begins Hey Vav, which is what, which is what Haman was saying, which is what the Kavanah is for the month of Tammuz, the Hey and the Vav. Moshe saw that if Yehoshua is going to go in with Hashem's name in reverse, he may not have the energy to overcome what's going to be. So what does he do? He adds the Yud. Now Yehoshua's name is, what's Hashem's name? The Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. What's Yehoshua's name? Begins with the Yud, the He, and the Vav. So he reverses the polarity, so to say, of the whole name of Yehoshua to give Yehoshua this extra strength. He goes further, and Moshe trying to, was, was really worried to help them. He says that this, this aspect of Anava, this aspect of uh, humility, he brings us the Gematria of Anava is 131. He says that the Gematria of Anava of 131 is something that the Satan tries to destroy. So we know the name of the Satan we have is Samach Mem Aleph Lamed. Sam, we don't like to say the whole name, but Sam with an L at the end, like all the angels. The gematria of the name of Satan, this Sam name, is 131. So what is Satan, how does Satan destroy us? By destroying our anava, by destroying our pride. How do we destroy the Satan? By having the name Yudke, by destroying Ga'ava. So it's a battle. The person is most suspect. The person is the most, puts himself in the most precarious situation when he's what? When he has pride, when he has gava, the person protects himself through what? Through his humility. So Moshe is really turning to Yoshua, and he's giving him this name because he has the pride to help him. But on the other hand, he's telling this is the key for Yoshua to survive. The key for all of the tribes to survive, what Moshe was trying to tell them when he was telling them, Ma, he, what is the land? He's trying to tell them, listen, this is the month of Tammuz. Tammuz is a month that goes to the dark side. The strength of the dark side is in the summer, when you have the most gava, when people are out. When they're not, you know, in the winter they're home in their house hiding. In the summer everybody's out. Everyone's showing off. Everyone's showing what they could be. The strength in Satan is to get people to have pride, to put their neck up, to go high, to show off. The person is most susceptible when he does that. So he's bringing, really, the Arizal is bringing the way for a person to protect themselves going into the, this summer, summer season, going into Tammuz. And, and this year, everything is very early, because normally we don't begin so early Tammuz. 
But this year everything is early because we're going to add an extra month at the end of the year. So it says that, that the way for a person to protect themselves is through, is through that aspect of humility. And, and really that's the whole idea of this Ibur Neshama and all of these things coming in is really this lesson, this lesson is in humility. We have a few more minutes. So just to, to continue, there's one other idea that I, that I found very, very interesting. So the idea that I was originally working with was I was looking at, I was looking at the idea of, of, uh, of the spies and I was trying to understand really what's going on. And so if we remember, if we go back to last week's Perasha, we had a problem in last week's Perasha. Moshe had appointed uh, 70, 70 people, so to say, as, a, as assistants. And there were two people, and they were prophesizing, they were telling everyone that Moshe is going to die, and Kalev, I mean, sorry, Yehoshua is going to take over. So one of the reasons that maybe these guys who are the spies are going with Yehoshua, one of the reasons they may be upset about Yehoshua is because they feel that Yehoshua is going to, even though he's Moses' assistant, he's going to get rid of Moses in some way. Moses is gone. And we're only going to have Yehoshua. So the other spies were worried about this. So one of the opinions is the other spies were worried about this. And they knew that if they're going to go into the land, then Moshe is going to die. And they want to avoid losing Moshe. So they say, we're not going to go into the land. So the question is, how are we supposed to deal with that? How are we supposed to deal with it? So he says, one thing we have to understand, that Moshe asks them a question, and it's a very strange question. He asks them here, he asks them, um, what about the mountains? He says, he says here, he says, Hayesh ba'etz, is there a tree? He doesn't ask them if there are forests. He, asks, he goes through all of these questions, and then he asks them, Hayesh ba'etz, im ayin. Is there a tree or no tree? What? You want to know if there's forests? You could ask about forests. So it's, it's interesting because when we came back, so to say, into the land in, in the last century, what happened in Israel, there were no trees. Do you know there were no trees in the land of Israel? In the 20s. No trees. Why were there no trees? Because during World War I, they cut every single tree because they needed the wood. And they left the country completely barren. So even if Moses is saying, are there trees or no trees, just get the JNF. All the kids will get a little blue sadaka box. They'll put the coins in the sadaka box and we'll build forests. We'll make forests like they made forests. What is Moshe asking them? Is there a tree? So that, that was really a, a heavy-duty question. The next thing we should understand is Moshe is compared, we say to Zeranpin, Moshe is compared always to the sun. Moshe is compared to the sun. Moshe is like the sun, he's giving of everything. So we have to understand that Moshe is like the shining sun, unconditional light. They say that Moshe's face radiated light to the point where he had to cover his face with a mask not to have the people afraid from the light that was radiating from his face. And that's why Michelangelo, when he does the things, because it's Karen or it's beams of light. He uses the word Karen as horns while they're beams of light. And that's why Michelangelo has Moses with the horns 
or that we're like the devil. I remember I went out with someone when I was like 18 and she was from Norway and I had hair in those days and she went like this to me. I said, what are you doing? She goes, you're Jewish. I said, yeah. She goes, where are your horns? Okay, true story. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, uh, so it says where, where Moses is the sun, we have to recognize that what happens to the moon in the presence of the sun. So we know Yehoshua is compared to the moon and B'nai Israel are also compared to the moon. Now, if you go out at 12 o'clock noon and it's a very sunny day and you tell someone, look for the moon, you can't see the moon. Even in the morning when the sun is coming up and you see a little of the moon, the moon has no light because the sun is there. But if the sun is gone, the moon has light, but the light of the moon is simply what? A reflection of the light of the sun. The, on the simple level of the Midrash, there were the ten spies. They wanted to stay with Moses. They didn't want to lose him. They wanted to stay in the Midrash. They wanted to eat the man. They wanted to drink from the well. They wanted to live in the cloud. They wanted to bask in the lights of Moshe Rabbeinu. Others like Yoshua and Kalev said, no, we could do it on our own. So, so what happens? The ten spies, they're all like... They're all like wearing, you know, I call them black hats, right? They're wearing black, and they're all black, and black clothing, what does it do? It absorbs the light without reflecting the light. Yoshua and Kalev, they take from Moshe, and then they give. He says, what do we see? What's our job? Our job is to reflect the light of Moshe. He says that we should understand that how do you reflect the light? By taking what Hashem gives you and giving back. It says, if you look at anyone who was wealthy from the 19th century, the only ones we remember are the people who gave. So I, I had examples, like in Israel, you remember the Rothschilds because of the cities and the vineyards and all the things they did. Even in America, I think of like Andrew Carnegie, right? He's Carnegie Hall. Why? Because who knows what he really did, you know, what, what kind of business he was in. But the fact that there's still a place called Carnegie Hall is left by him. So what are we known for? Not what we took, not what we earned, but what we, what we gave back. Exactly, exactly. Everywhere you go in Israel, there's a suffer court, there's a suffer center. He says, even today you see the very wealthy people are trying to come up with a way to give back and create these foundations to do something. He says that we should know that when we learn about, there, there are people who are great learners, but we don't remember the people who learned on their own. We only remember the people who taught. There was a question that once I, I heard one of the rabbis ask, oh, Rav Chacham Yosef asked a question. He says, if I learn on my own, I can grow so much more, become so much greater, or if I teach, I have to take away time from learning. What should I do? And they told him, you have to teach. Because you have to take and then you have to give. He says, so, he says though, what do we have to know? He says, we have to know that if we look at the Zohar, Moshe is the aspect of the sun. He gives unconditionally, he gives to all. When the sun is rising, the moon rises, we don't see it. Sometimes you see a little, but really you don't see it. Coming to Eretz Yisrael from the desert, it was time for the nation to shine. Time for the nation to do this, and for this to happen, what had to, for, the, for you to get life from the moon, what had to happen? The sun had to set. Says the, Shalach, the Shal, says the Shalach Adosh, he says, he says, Hashem says to Moshe, Shalach Lecha, send people for you. Why for you? 
The Zohar emphasizes this is for you, so you should know. He says that Moshe had to understand that for the, for, he had to taste the land. It was for Moshe to taste the land because he wasn't going into the land. Because he couldn't go into the land. Because for the people to go into the land, they needed him not to come. For them to shine, they needed the sun to go out. For the candle to work, you have to show the candle in darkness. You can't show the candle at 12 noon. He says that, that one of the things that we have to realize in our own lives is that we have to have a responsibility that we have to be the light, but we also have to allow the other people to reflect that light and to give off their own light. In order to do that, we have to shut down our own light. I see it many times in business that a father is running a company and he doesn't know how to give up the reins to the kid. And then there are certain fathers that see their kids and they step back and they say, okay, you do what you need to do I'm going to step back. And the only way to learn is when we let someone try. We want to teach a, teach a kid to walk. We're afraid, no, they're going to fall. But if they don't fall, they're never going to learn to walk. So we have to be able to step back and to do that. He says that Hashem is showing Moshe the land. He's showing him everything because he says, you're not going to go in. I'm sending the tribes for you to understand. The problem was the tribes weren't willing to do their job. These leaders weren't willing to be the moon. It says, for us, we have to know that we have to be the, we have to be a moon. It goes further, just to finish with this, just to understand the tree. He says that, that these 12 were chosen if they could connect to the immense power of the land. And we knew that there was incredible spiritual energy. It was a constant energy. And you know that anytime you go to Israel, it's different than anywhere else. You can't be in Israel like you are in outside of Israel, and you can't be outside of Israel like you are in Israel. The Etz Chayim, that's what, that's, what Hash, that's what Moshe is telling about. Is there the Etz Chayim? So to achieve the tikkun of Adam HaRishon, his selfishness, this was the challenge of the, of the spies. Are you willing not to be selfish? Are you willing to give? Are you willing to give back? Are you willing to just reflect the light and let others bask in the light? You come into the land, you're struck by the incredible energy. The, sh- the, the Miraglim, we said, were tourists. It, that's what it means, that they were tourists. He was when a tourist goes to a land, what does he see? Everything that's good in the land. He wants to take pictures, selfies, everything. But what happens? They went from tourists to spies. How? They were looking for everything that was bad. When you look at everything from bad, when you're looking at the defects, everything changes. They see the lack of normality. They see giant people, giant fruits. Even today, he says, we know that when you go to Israel, everything's different. So don't expect it to be everything the same. We have to know it's a set of different rules. The closer a person gets to Yerushalayim, the closer he gets to the Kedushah, the stronger this power is. Even today, hundreds of people who visit Israel every year end up in the hospital with something called Jerusalem Syndrome. Jerusalem Syndrome is this. It's hundreds of people every year. There's a psychiatric hospital specifically for the people who get to Jerusalem and they suddenly think that they are Isaiah. They think they're the Messiah. They walk around with harps. All crazy people find that there's no thing called the New York Syndrome. There's no London Syndrome. Only in Yerushalayim. Because there's special power in Yerushalayim. Since what happens is they bad now. They don't see. They say that we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, right? They perceive themselves as something otherwise. So he says really to understand that one of the other messages of this week's, this week's perasha, this week's perasha is this, 
that everything depends on us and how we see it. It's so interesting that the Arizal, before, before Freud and before all of these, he's saying that the key to a person's health is not what's on the outside, but how they perceive of the outside, how they look at the outside. There's a zillion stories you could tell of, of how people could see something one way and it's actually another way. But the Arizal goes really into this and he says that a person has to understand that the power that he has and how he perceives it. There's the book, you know, The Seven Habits. Uh, so one of the most powerful stories that I, that I think of all the time is this story, just to end with this. He says he was on a train one Sunday morning and it was 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday on the subway. And he said he got into the subway and he's sitting down and there's four or five people in the car reading the paper. All of a sudden the door opens and this man comes on the train with four or five kids and the kids are running around the train hitting the newspapers and you know, New York, what do people do when they see that? They you know, look closer in their paper. No one's going to say anything. The kids are jumping and yelling and bothering everybody. Finally. He says, you know what, I'm not from New York. I turn to the guy and I say, you know, your kids are really out of control. And he says, I, I was really angry, like, tell his father, control his kids. He says, and the father says, yeah, I know. He says, we just got back from the hospital, their mother just died. He says, in that minute, he went from being angry at these kids to having complete and total compassion and saying, what can I do to help you and help them? He says, did anything change? They were still running around the train, hitting, doing what they were doing. The only thing that changed was how he looked at the world. Says the Ari, and one of the opinions of the Ari says, the sin of the spies was that they looked at the land through shaded glasses. They looked at the land in a negative way. Everything could be the same. When they were looking at the people dying, they were looking at the people dying, and they were saying, we're looking at the people dying for what? They, sh they should have realized it was a miracle God made that the people were dying so they wouldn't catch the spies. There were 12 guys in the land for 40 days. They didn't get caught. We see when, when Joshua sends the spies and he sends Pinchas and he sends Kalev, two guys get caught on the first day. One place, 12 guys didn't get caught for 40 days. Years later, two guys get caught the first day. God made a miracle of all these things happening, but the spies didn't appreciate that God was making a miracle to, to protect them. They were just criticizing the land. Says the Ari, everything is based on how we look at it. And we should learn to look at everything in a better way, and that's the way we have, we have blessing. Huh? The, the main message was stay humble. The second way is look at everything in a good way. And it's interesting that really that's the Ari, and the Ari talking about psychology... Right. and how it affects our health and how it affects all of the things on how we look at the world.